What's going on, guys and girls? It's your boy, Kevin Smoke, man, and welcome back to Higher Learning, episode three. I don't know if you've peeped the merch. Uh, you know, this episode is brought to you by higherlearningpod.com slash shop, man. The new merch shop opening up very soon where you can get all of this merch you see here, except for the Ray-Bans um, and more and a lot more. I don't have everything on, but one, one product I did want to demo for you guys is this little belt bag, AKA fanny pack, or whatever the higher learning belt bag. But let me just show you all the stuff you can fit in here because, um, I really got into the bags when I was traveling in Thailand because, uh, you know, you wanted to have on shorts and everything and you, you know, your phone, wallet, keys, all, I, well, I didn't have keys, but you know, car key, uh, key card for the room, uh, all of that kind of stuff, you know, Shorts don't always have the, the best pockets for those kind of things. So I picked up a little bag and uh, it really just changed my life. Like women, I understand why women are the way they are about their bags now, because, uh, you know, once you take that pressure off your pockets, you never really want to really want to go back. But anyway, guys, so I designed my own little uh, higher learning belt bag, fanny pack, whatever you want to call it. But let me just show you some of the things you can fit in this thing. First of all, gotta have a mask you know you got the coronavirus going around so mask definitely fits we have a full-size grinder my chapstick just fell out I don't know if you heard that but that was in there rolling papers nice sage to keep the demons away or to remove the spirits from your area hair tie for when you want to eat something and last but certainly not least your vape kit uh you know your little juice and your vape which brings me to an important announcement um i've officially stopped smoking cigarettes uh i've went back over to the vape world simply because uh i, I had vaped before but that was really when it was the industry was first getting started and so uh the prices were really high for you know not only the mods and the uh the little uh filter they're not called filters but I, it, it's slipping my mind right now the coils yeah the little coils the juices they were all extremely expensive but anyway guys back in the game prices have settled down so hopefully i've smoked my last cigarette for the rest of my life let's get straight into uh higher learning episode three uh with it being black history month i thought this episode would be appropriate um and it's partially the reason i did not put out an episode last week because i didn't feel like i got into the things that i wanted to get into um honestly i tried to basically take this message and condense it down and make it applicable to everybody instead of being being specific and direct and say what i really wanted to say okay so before we get started, well, as an intro to our topic, this shirt, as you can see, uh, higher learning merch, control what you can. That's our motto for this podcast. And um, I try to use that in every aspect of my life. And, you know, I'll tell that to anybody. That's a good tip for anybody. Control what you can, because we spend a lot of time and energy. Uh, we waste a lot of time and energy worrying about stressing about things that we have zero control over 
and i mean that can look like a number of different things i kind of went over some of them in the last episode but um this time i want to apply this motto to the entire black community and this is all out of love and uh hope because i have not given up on us i'm not one of these people that feel like we're helpless out here i'm one of these people who think we are some of the most incredible people on this planet and i think black history month you know just reinforces that you know because that's the time when we're looking at all of these great individuals who've done all these great things right so that's why on martin luther king day when i was having a discussion with a friend uh it wasn't really a debate because we weren't I wasn't really disagreeing with him. We just had kind of a difference in perspective on how we were looking at the same things. Basically, what it all boiled down to is his point of view was that there really aren't any bad black people. Black people can't really do any wrong. Anything that a black person does that you perceive is wrong can be pointed towards, you know, the systematic injustice or the systematic oppression in America. Now, in my opinion, it's this type of perspective that has a lot of people where they are in their lives in the black community. If you're black, you've grown up knowing somebody that will blame any and everything on somebody outside, you know, outside themselves. Whether that's the man, whether that's the devil, whether that's, you know, your deadbeat dad or whatever, you know, like people, uh, people oftentimes give themselves these escape routes by blaming other people. Right. And I feel like we have that problem bad as a race. Now, let me say this. I will never deny social injustice or social oppression, and I will never say we should stop trying to fight it. But what I am saying is. We are incredible people, our ancestors who honestly, I believe our ancestors are us like those that was us in our past lives. That's honestly how I feel. So I feel like we are very incredible people who are capable of overcoming anything. So it kind of just feels like a letdown or a cop out when somebody says, you know, there basically there's nothing more we can do for ourselves. Anything else that happens for us is going to have to come from the same people you're saying is oppressing us. That's basically my, my that was basically my perspective in counter to his. So let's talk about this, right? This is a country that was founded on the Constitution, uh, which, if you're black, it labeled you as three-fifths of a man. So you're not even a whole human being if you're black. That's the Constitution this country was founded on. Somebody once said, when somebody shows you who they are, believe them. So why don't we believe these people? Why don't we believe this country? When they told us, you know, you're not human, we don't want you to vote, we don't want you drinking from our water fountains, we don't want you eating at our restaurants. Why didn't we believe them? Like, why don't we believe them? Why don't we believe these people are still in power or still in office or maybe not them directly, but their descendants? Basically, what I'm saying is. 
Why would you ask a thief not to steal from you? They're a thief. That's what they do. Why would you ask a cheater not to cheat on you? They're a cheater. That's what they do. That's who they are. Believe them. You know, I understand, you know, giving somebody a second chance or whatever. But at the end of the day, like they say, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, can't put the blame on you. If you're like, for example, if you're in a relationship and you've been cheated on. And you don't think it's going to happen again. And it does. That's your fault. Like they showed you who they were. So that's all I'm saying. We look at World War Two. We look at the Holocaust. Tragic situation, right? World War. America got involved in World War Two in 1942, and I believe it ended in 1945, but it was going on before that. So I'm never saying any of this to minimize the Holocaust or anything. I don't want anybody to, to get that. Please understand that. Holocaust was a horrible event. And uh, everything that the Jewish people received as far as reparations, I feel like that was deserved for what they went through. But I'm saying that to say, look at the timeline, okay? We're talking about something that happened, you know, 70, 80 years ago. There's people still alive from that, right? And they've already been paid their reparations. So my point was, if they, if they, if the man, if the system, whatever, was going to do anything for us, it, you know, by way, of, you know, in, in, in an effort to pay reparations or, you know, whatever, it would have been done already. That's how I feel. I'm not saying people should stop, you know, fighting for it, but I just don't see it happening because it hasn't happened already. I'm more of a realist when it comes, you know, I'm just a realist. So that's how I see things. Now, it would be great. If that happened, if they just said, you know what, everybody that's a descendant of a slave, you know, here's some, you know, here's a chunk of money. Right. But here's the thing. Even if they did that, how many of us would be in a position to take that money and actually change our lives with it? Like as far as change, our, like change generational, you know, curses and all of that kind of stuff. Like how many of us are in a real position to know how to even make that work? Right. Because they because they, they are out there for sure. One hundred percent. There are people that have, you know, done ended generational curses without reparations, bunch of them. And that's kind of the point I'm, I'm, I'm getting at. Like we've done this. We've seen so many examples of this being done without the help of the system, without the help of the man. So I don't you know, it saddens me to see people feel like they can never accomplish great things unless, you know, somebody does you know give you know gives them something or whatever not saying it's undeserved but i just don't see it coming i think what it is is we all have to be let's just be real with ourselves as a community let's just ha like, you know that's the thing with black people we like to keep everything in house what happens in this house stays in this house but as a community we need to all come in the house and just really have you know discussions number one is how we see our ourselves how we see our own race and before i get into this story Take another drag of this uh, caramel custard. Shout out to Imperial Vapes. Uh, actually, shout out to Leviathan Juices. Delicious flavor. Takes me back to my original vaping stint when I was uh, blowing that apple pie down heavy. And uh, that's probably the next flavor I'm going to go for is my old apple pie.
mm, mm, mm. just mm, so tasty. That's you see what I'm saying? That's the dangers right there. The tastiness of it. At least with a cigarette, you hated yourself a little bit for smoking it. You know what I mean? But anyway, let's get back to it. How we see our own race. Now, this is a story. And I mean, it seems like every 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 episode I'm going back to the restaurant. But I feel like restaurants are a great microcosm of our society. OK, so how we see our own race. Starting off as a server, one of the first things I noticed is that the other servers were basically um, stereotyping and judging guests as soon as they came in. So what do I mean by that? So let's say you have a back wall and you got like 10 servers lined up. OK, then you see a table walk in or, or a collection of guests. Let's say you see two two guests walk in. Right. Actually, you know what? Scratch that. Let's say two separate tables walk in. So you got four guests total, two parties of two, right? One party is an old white couple. One party is a young black couple. Okay. What I observed with my own two eyes from, you know, about seven, eight years in the restaurant industry so far is that the servers are judging you by race. <laughs> like when they see that older white couple who they think they're going to make a lot of money off of, they get excited when they walk them to their section or even when they walk in the door. Ooh, I hope that table sits in my section. But then when the young black couple walks in and it all and it and it and it does depend on how they carry themselves as well, too. It's not just strictly because you're black. It is, you know, how you're dressed, how you, you know, you carry yourself or whatever. But before you even, you know, I'm seeing all this before the interaction with the guest ever even happens. So what does that mean? You had black servers who see. And that's the thing, like black servers were really the only ones comfortable enough to just outright express displeasure with getting seated with black people because, you know, black people can't be, you know, prejudiced against black people, which is a complete lie because we are the most probably well, not the most, but some of the most prejudiced people on the planet towards black people. And I mean, a lot of times for good reason, honestly, um, so what does that mean? Um, basically my approach, because I felt a way about this, because I, I honestly, I felt a way about this for the simple fact that I'm a young black man who loves to go to restaurants. I don't cause any problems at restaurants and I love to tip well, especially after becoming a server and realizing that, you know, literally all your income is on tips because whatever you're making hourly is being taken away for taxes on said tips. So, um, and I was just raised that way anyway. Like I was always raised to tip your server in a restaurant, especially when they give you good service. Like you should, you know, if they go above and beyond on the service, you know, go above and beyond on the tip. That's just how I was raised. Not everybody was raised that way. And as a server, you have to come in. Like I had to come into it, understanding that part to try to get, you know, the money. So my approach was, the old white couple and the young black couple probably are looking for a different experience, right? The older couple, they might just want, you know, uh, they want to eat early. They want to eat fast. They don't want to be out all night. You know, maybe they want you to, uh, give them some of the specials, but most of the times they already know exactly what they want because they're, you know, I don't want to say stuck in their ways as it, a, as if it's a bad thing, but they know what they want to eat. Um, uh, and, you know, for example, we had a, a senior special uh, where they can order off the lunch menu at all times. So if I see a senior couple, I'm probably not going to run down the whole, you know, 
chef selections menu to them because I, you know, I'm probably going to, you know, make them aware, you know, especially if they're regulars, if they're regulars I already know what they want, but I'm just saying, I'm probably going to try to, you know, cater their service to the senior menu and let them know their options versus the young couple who's out on, you know, an anniversary date or whatever. They might want the whole shebang with the dessert and they might want to, you know, have a bottle of wine and, and, you know, have a two hour experience. So it was really more about the experience being different than uh, just the race of the people, if that makes sense. A lot of people and as I elevated to a manager, this is where the this is where the real gym came from. When I elevated as a manager and we had to do these things called shift reports. So uh, or shift reviews, I believe it was called shift reviews. Um, basically, it was like you were a ninja. Watching a server. Without them knowing you were watching, so I could be over here acting like I'm doing something on the on the POS system or whatever, but I'm actually really focused on what you're saying to your table and how you're you know interacting with your table and you know all that kind of stuff because that's what you had to do for the review. What I noticed immediately is that even though the server wasn't consciously aware of it, their service was different for you know a table they perceived as something they were going to make a lot of money on and a table they perceived they weren't going to make any money on. And here's why that's a problem. There have been times where you can give the greatest service in the world and not get tipped. Like that's just a fact. It's, you know, not really a racial thing that it just is what it is. Uh, but there are also times when, you know, you can get that table that nobody wants. And that's your biggest tip of the night. I've had plenty of those because guess what? People guest as guests, they can they can feel the same energy I was feeling as a manager. Like you're 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 unhappy. Basically, you're unhappy with, you know, you have an attitude with the table because they sat in your section, basically. And that, you know, the guest can can feel that because I can feel that. But if you talk to the server they never they know I give the same service to everybody. I'm the same with everybody. I don't do anything like that. But I'm watching you. I'm watching you. You know, I'm watching how how you run to refill the drinks for this table over here. But this table has been sitting over here for an hour with nothing to drink. And so basically they were given a subpar service to tables they perceived wouldn't give tips. And oftentimes they they based that on the race of the table. And so a lot of times their tips reflected their subpar service more so than the actual race of the guest. Now that explanation took kind of way longer than I wanted it to, but basically it was like a black table walks in, a server feels like they're not going to get paid. So they, or tipped. So they give them shitty service and don't get tipped. And they think it's because they're black and not because they gave shitty service, <laughs> you know? So I say all that to say, we often feel the same way or worse about each other as other races feel about us. So we have to love and respect ourselves as a race before we can really demand that everybody else does. And that's really just the bottom line of it. We have to also understand that, hey, look, shitty people come in all races, genders, sizes or any other box you want to throw people in. OK, we just got to get that understood. Like there's no such thing as a perfect race of people or a perfect group of people. There are shitty people that come in any group that you want to name of humans. 
it it is what it is. So the whole perspective of everything wrong with the black community is the fault of somebody else. I don't necessarily agree with that. I mean, I understand where it comes from, but at the, at some point we have to take the reins over our own lives, control what we can control. You know, like I remember, I remember somebody, uh, and I'm not going to say any names, but somebody, uh, somebody was complaining to me about something, right? They were actually complaining to me about how messy they were complaining to me about how messy something was. Right. Like they 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 were upset that that something was so this room was so messy. Right. But it was their stuff all over the room, (laughs) like 30 pairs of shoes, a set of rims, like a whole bunch of shit everywhere. But you're mad that the room's messy. You made it messy. You see what I'm saying? Like that's I have a problem with that kind of thinking, that kind of logic. Like you're willing to blame somebody else for a mess that you're creating and continuing to contribute to. And that's how I feel about a lot of, you know, situations within our own community. Yes, we can we can pinpoint the the blame or we can say, you know, we can pinpoint or make the connection with the systematic injustice and oppression. But what's our own role in what we're doing? You know what I mean? Like. You know, growing up, there were you know, there would be people that, you know, blame the man for everything. But, you know. When a black man killed my dad in front of me, I mean, it's kind of hard for me to to say, oh, well, if you know, if we had never, you know. If, you know, the the projects weren't this, that and the third and if there were more opportunity like that's bullshit to me, like this man made his decision to come here with a firearm and try to, you know, collect items out of our home. And that resulted in this, like. I understand there's deeper connections and everything, but I'm looking at it for what it is. You didn't have to do that. You control what you can control. You didn't have to do that. You felt like you did, but you didn't have to. Now you're dead somewhere. And, you know, am I supposed to feel sorry for you? No. You know, I seen something a while back, maybe last year, where a few black kids broke into this man's house and shot at him. And actually ended up all three getting killed. And his family was basically saying that the man who defended his home was in the wrong somehow. That's why that's why nobody takes us seriously as a community. I'm not going to say nobody, but that's why the majority. No, I'm not even going to say the majority. That's why people don't take us seriously as a community as a whole, because of shit like that. Credibility. Where's your credit? Like, where's the logic in that? You know, you got three knuckleheads that break into a man's home and shoot at him. And they get killed and the family has a problem with them being killed in somebody else's home. Breaking in armed robbery. Like we have to we have to we have to, you know, recalibrate our perspectives on a lot of different things. Um, And I think that just boils down to the fact that there is a sickness in the black community. Like I I don't know how to describe it other than a sickness. Uh, You know, we come from an era or not even an era. We come from shit. Just this. I don't even know what to call it, but we've all experienced the whole crime is cool shit. Like I was telling you when I was in ninth grade or that may, maybe I haven't told you guys yet, but, uh, in the first episode, I mentioned that I went to high school right after, uh, right after the situation with my dad. So 
I started ninth grade and the high school I went to was a known like hood school, like ghetto as far as, you know, a lot of gangs, a lot of crime, weapons and shit, drugs, all that on campus at all times. You know, three, four, five fights a day, regardless, like it didn't matter. There was always going to be at least, you know, three fights a day, uh, that kind of thing. And if you look at uh, if you look, at, OK, and before I go back into the high school, before I get into the high school thing, I want to make this small point. If you watch Discovery Channel or National Geographic or anything about, you know, animals. Generally, nine, I would say nine out of 10 times, if you look at the animal kingdom, when they go into their mating rituals, it's the male trying to perform to attract the female. Right. So if you look at the peacock, for example, I believe it's the male peacock who has all the fancy feathers and all of that. And the whole purpose of that is to attract a mate. OK. So the traits that attract the female are the traits that are passed down in order to continue, you know, reproducing and, and spreading the lineage. Right. So now look at that. Now, back to my ninth grade year in high school, I'm seeing that play out in real life for humans, because at the end of the day, it's the same shit. Like all of the a lot of these things we do, the way we dress, the way we, you know, try to look good going out or whatever and attracting it's attracting a mate. That's all it is. OK, so the behavior that leads to success in in attracting a mate is obviously going to be reproduced by other males attracting or looking to attract a mate. So if you look at, uh, you know, like your professional athletes, your highly paid professionals, et cetera, et cetera, you know, people with a lot of money and success and all of this, those are generally the things that you would expect to attract mates in, you know, in the human world, you know, that's your mating ritual in the human world, like show the woman that you can provide and, all of that kind of stuff. Right. But a lot of times in the black community and specifically in the hood, the women, the mating ritual they're looking for is the criminal mating ritual. You know, how much how many drugs do you sell? How many bodies do you have? How many you know, what's your reputation in the streets? Like, you know, that's what you're looking for. So in ninth grade, I seen a lot of that 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 mentality that crime is cool. And, and so the girls were going after all the gangbangers and stuff. And so I seen a lot of guys who were actually really smart individuals who probably had a really good shot at doing anything else in life that they wanted to do turn to gang banging and crime to try to impress some of these little girls. Now you look back, you, you look back at some of these girls who were only going for the thugs. Now they're, you know, busted and disgusted, have three kids by three different thugs all in jail or dead. And now they want, you know, a square, a square guy who, you know, has, you know, his ducks in a row and no criminal record and all that to come in and be a stepdad to these little kids. Not going to happen. I mean, it does happen sometimes, but, you know, that's not a that's that's a hard that's the furthest furthest situation away from ideal that I could possibly well, not possibly think of. But, you know, as far as dating and, and, and potentially marrying a woman like that's you know, three red flags, <laughs> you know, that's three strikes you're out. But, um, you know, yeah. <coughs> now these women are out here and struggling and, you know, men ain't shit, but really it's the men you wanted. 
Like you, you hand selected these guys and now it's all of us. That's the problem. I remember one girl in particular that I, uh, that I had a crush on. I can't say that she has kids or anything. I don't know. I don't keep track with her, but I, ha- I saw her a few years. Like, uh, uh, I was eating, I was at like Olive Garden getting a snack or something. I was, you know, I was at the bar having a little Bellini little, uh, what was I eating? I had like, uh, they had this really good appetizer at the time. That's really why I was there. But then I ended up getting, you know, uh, I think it was probably the chicken scampi, you know, a little Olive Garden shit, you know, you know, whatever. But anyway, she ended up working there and, you know, she, uh, I was talking to the bartender who was actually really pretty or whatever. And uh, I was talking to her. So I, I was so caught up in talking to this girl that I didn't see. And I wasn't caught up like that, but we, uh, she was from like Sparta or some shit like some, she was from Mesopotamia or some crazy, like biblical sounding place. And so I had never met anybody from that part of the world. So I was just like, wow. Uh, you know, I don't know. It was weird. If you like, I don't know. It was weird. It was like, I can't really explain it, but, um, I'm really big on like culture and travel and stuff like that. So I haven't been to Europe at all. And, uh, I've been to the Middle East. Um, and so that was basically she was from, you know, honestly, because the way they've redid the maps and everything, Mesopotamia, all that. But anyway, I was really interested in her story about how she got here or whatever. I don't remember it now, but yeah. So long story short, the the girl I used to want to I used to go to school. with was over here at the bar, uh, the service bar area, like looking at me. And I didn't notice until the bartender said, hey, do you know that girl over there? And I looked and at first I didn't recognize her because, you know, in high school, she was at least a seven at least. And, uh, you know, long story short, uh, you know, life had took its toll on her or whatever. And, uh, you know, it is what it is. And she was a much more humble person and much more friendly and, you know, all that kind of stuff and wanted to, you know, give me her number or something like that. But that's neither here nor there at this point, but I'm just saying, ladies, you have a lot of control over what goes on in the community. Uh, you know, if, if women took a stand and really only, you know, if they demanded certain things, then those things would be met, right? Because if you think about back to the animal kingdom, the animals who didn't have a good enough mating ritual to attract the mate they just died and didn't get to you know spread their seed and so whatever their little genetic shit was is out of here now you know (laughs) so that's basically what you're seeing you see all these you know you see all these broken families because and i'm not blaming the women obviously for the whole part of it but I'm saying if if your thing is dating criminals and having babies with criminals, you can't really be surprised when they die or go to jail and you're left alone because that's that's just generally what happens. That's the percentages. That's the game, you know. So. Like I said, if if women were more so on the on the on the uh, wavelength of, okay, I'm not messing with you unless you, you know, have everything together, then only the people with everything together would have a mate. And so everybody who wants a mate would have to go get their shit together in order to get one. You see what I'm saying? So it's, it's it, in my mind, it's that simple, but obviously it's not going to be, you know, cause people like what they like. If you like danger, if you like crime, if that's attractive to you as a woman, that's what you're going to go find. And, you know, hopefully it works out for you, but generally it doesn't. Um, and I think that just, uh, you know, once again, like I said, that's, it just speaks to the sickness in the, in the black community. We have to really 
undo these things, uncondition ourselves from these things, unlearn these things. Um, also, I feel like we really live in a we really live in a do it for the gram culture. And even before Instagram, I felt like we've always been a, a culture that was big on optics, meaning like. Um, like even before Instagram, there were people who would spend way more than they could afford to spend on things just to make it look like they had it going on. Like that's not a new thing since Instagram. That's kind of always been the case. It's like. Uh, there was that one uh, we watched. There was this. I can't remember where I saw it, but there was this marketing uh, like marketing class or video, whatever it was. Uh, I believe it was in like the 50s or 60s about selling to the Negro. And basically they were talking about how infatuated the Negro was with name brands and, you know, having people know, you know, what they're about or whatever by looking at them or whatever. So, you know, nowadays that you can transpose that into, you know, everybody has to have designer, even though you can't really afford it. And, uh, you know, there's so many other things that you, you know, want to do, but you can't because you don't have the money because you have to impress all these people by wearing all these clothes or driving the 2021 car in 2020 or having the 10 bedroom home that you can't really afford and all that kind of stuff. So it's all for the optics. I said that in I think that was last episode, you know, when I, where I briefly spoke on controlling what you can control people, you know, they try to control people's image of them by overexerting themselves in ways that don't really make sense. So you're you're a person that makes 30K a year, but, you know, you're driving an $80,000 car. Like, how does that even work? How, you know. Like I said, uh, you know, like they say back in the day, uh, live below your means or under a bridge. And that's what we see a lot of. Another thing that we really need to talk about. There's this thing or there's this narrative in the black community that you shouldn't snitch. And I'm not saying I disagree with that, but let's talk about what snitching actually is. Now, a lot of people, I'm not the first person to point this out to everybody, but a lot of people have said it and it's absolutely true. Uh, civilians cannot snitch. Number one. Now what snitching is, is if you're involved in a criminal activity with other people and you get caught and you tell on somebody else that was also involved in the criminal activity to reduce your sentence or your punishment that's snitching because you know the whole code was supposed to be you know you do you know you get caught doing whatever you're doing do your time that's that was supposed to be the code but obviously you know that's in a rule book nobody reads no more so what baffles me, though, is how civilians are looked at like they're supposed to not, you know, they're supposed to just take this shit you're doing to them and not, you know, and there be no repercussions because we're both black. Now, what I mean, let me be specific, man. Because I'm not talking about your your guy next door selling weed. I'm not telling you to call your the cops on your local weed dealer. What I'm talking about is the real issues within our black families. You see, because black people have this thing where 
whatever happens in this house stays in this house. Right. Like we've all heard that. Right. But what about the houses with with sexual predators in them? Why does that get to stay in the house? Why is there no turning these people in? Why is it no, you know, because honestly, look. I mean, honestly, I think. And I mean, I don't think the Constitution will tell you that prison is the modern day slavery as far as, you know, the emancipation, because we'll get into that later. But emancipation doesn't mean you're free. It means transfer of property to the state. So you're like you're 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 transferring ownership of something to the state. So when you talk about emancipation as it in in a means to people, you're saying under certain conditions. A person can be owned by the state. Right. Um, the, if you watch that movie 13th or the series, the 13th, uh, talking about the 13th Amendment, they'll dive a lot deeper into that than I, I did just then. But, you know, it is what it is. Basically, slavery was outlawed unless you were convicted of, you know, a crime or whatever. And then after that, you're back, you know, right back in the shackles or whatnot. That's what that's what prison is. That's what jail is. But if you have, you know. A sexual predator in your family raping, you know, small children and just anybody in general. Who cares? Throw them to the wolves, throw them under the jail. Enslave them. Who cares? Like we have to call the herd at some point, right? There's a lot of. Like I said, like I said, shitty people. They come in all races, gender sizes. So don't, you know, be fooled by thinking just because somebody's black, they shouldn't rot in hell for whatever they're doing. Not that I believe in hell, but I'm just saying, you know, as a figure of speech, they should rot in hell for that. Like being black, who gives who cares? Like so like that's the that's some of the stupidest logic I've heard is, you know, oh, because we're black, we're not going to send this freaking rapist to jail. You know, doesn't make sense. Um And just imagine that just 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 imagine how that must feel. Having that happen to you and then telling your family and they don't do anything about it. This fool sitting up here at Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's. Easter. It's sickening. I actually feel sick just even thinking about that because there's somebody watching this or listening to this right now. That's their life. They have to go through that. And and that's not even a black thing. Don't get me wrong. That's not even just a black thing. Like I said, I'm that happens in every community that happens in every single community. But I'm saying for us as a people, you got two options. You either take this fool out back and slit his throat or throw him under the jail. That's my opinion. And, and 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 I said he I know that women I mean, men are not the only people who are sexual predators. I You know, I was just using that as an example. But sexual predators also come in all shapes, sizes. Like I said, shitty people come in any like any box you want to put a people in. They're shitty people in that box. Guaranteed. You don't know. All right, let me let me calm down. I got a little worked up there. Um, um So, yeah, I got a little uh, me, you know, I got a little worked up there. But here's the thing. 
if you as a man, if you're a man, right? If you talk to five women you love, at least one of them has experienced some sort of sexual abuse. And those are, those are not like those those are just the stats. And I think it's higher than that. I was just trying to play it safe, but those are the stats. I I I wish that wasn't the case and and the sad thing is out of 5 is normally a lot higher than just one. But like I said, I was playing it safe at least one. And if you're a man who's ever talked to a woman you love, you know, whether it's family or, you know, significant other or friends or anything that has had to go through something like that, you will feel absolutely sick when you figure out nothing is being done about it or nothing was done about it. So my heart goes out to anybody that, uh, you know, has to live with a situation like that. Like, like, I, how could you trust any like how could you trust your family? How could you trust anybody really after that like so i i like i understand but my point is this like we have to protect each other like if we're going to be a, a community because a community is defined as like a group of people living in the same place or having a particular characteristic in common so the black community obviously isn't really a community in the sense of people living in the same place um i mean there are those the hoods but uh you know as far as us all having a particular characteristic in common which is our skin we have to say, we have to, like, we have to set boundaries. Like, we can't just allow people to ruin our community this way. You know, and this is from somebody that has family that were, that was involved in, you know, criminal activity back in the day. You know, I'm just keeping it real. Um, we got to stop telling black kids who are educated that they sound white. That's another thing. Everything and see that's and see things like that show you the level of conditioning and brainwashing we've been under are currently under but you know, there's this whole theme, there's this whole narrative. It's really more of an undertone within society that everything white is positive and everything's black isn't. Um, I mean, we can pull up the studies about, you know, the I can't remember the exact name of the study, but remember the the study with the children, uh, the black children. Which doll do you think is pretty? They never picked the black one. It was always the white one. Which doll do you think is is, you know, the bad kid, the black doll, which, you know, and these are these are children, you know, because that's what you know, that's. That study just says so much. And I say that to say we are oftentimes our own worst enemy. Well, generally, I feel like we're always our own worst enemy. Not always, but. There are enemies we can't see, we can't touch. But then there are, you know, our physical enemies, the people that are causing peril in our lives. You know what I mean? And I feel like we do it to ourselves 95% of the time. So like I just touched on, you know, the community, the community, like the black community, the, uh, the definition is a group of people living in the same place or having a particular characteristic in common. Okay. So 
back in the day, I believe this was in the 20s. There was a place called Black Wall Street in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Now, when I think about a black community, that's what I think about. And the fact that we were able to accomplish something on that level in those days. You know, that's actually inspiring. It actually fills me with pride, to be honest, because just to know that there was a community at one point in time where if you got on a bus, it was black owned. If you went into a restaurant, it was black owned. If you went into a movie theater, it was black owned. If you freaking got on a plane to go fly somewhere, it was black owned. Like, and this was near, this was a hundred years ago. But what is, what is, what does the black community look like now? Now I'm not saying that predominantly black neighborhoods that are great don't exist. I mean, I've heard great things about Atlanta. Uh, you know, there are a number of number of, you know, even where I live, there's, you know, black business, a bunch of beautiful black people, like great black community, if you will. But as far as the air group of people living together, like the actual like physical community where we all live, eat, shop, go to school, like we do all of that in the same place. Where is that? I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I'm genuinely asking where it is, because from what I see, I've been to a lot of different places. I've been to, uh, you know, different countries, everything like that. Generally, everywhere I've been, with the exception of Iraq. (laughs) <laughs> because I you know wasn't able to explore outside of my base didn't want to but in every city I've ever been in around the world there was a Chinatown now what does that tell you you go to any city in America for certain there's a there's a Chinatown I was in Thailand there was a Chinatown you know, maybe not the Bahamas. I, and I can't even say I can't I can't even say there's probably a Chinatown in the Bahamas than Jamaica, too. Why? Because the Chinese people are a collectivist culture. And that's what their goal is to to unify and, you know, do for the greater good of everybody. Utilitarianism and all of that shit. But now let's look at the like, where's the black community in every city? Because every city you go to generally has a martin luther king street right that's always the hood always the hood always somewhere you don't want to go now i could be wrong i'm sure there's at least one decent mlk street in america but just the mlk streets i've personally been on in my life were the hood now that's where you're gonna find some of the best food too though you know best you know a lot of a lot of culture there i'm not you know it is what it is but at the same time it's like how is it a black community where black people can't feel safe because of other black people like that's just you know that's the concrete jungle i wouldn't you know there's nothing that screams community about that you know i live in a you know you live in a place where you can't walk down the street without, you know, fear of being robbed or shot for no reason. You 
you know, at the end of the day, like I said, guys, at the beginning, I think we are the most incredible people. And obviously I'm biased because I am black, but I'm just I'm so proud of what we were able to accomplish, considering all the nonsense our ancestors, who I believe are us, have been through. And we don't even know. We only know whatever we were able to scrape together from word of mouth down the line and whatever, you know, we have to take what they report with a grain of salt. Cause you know, it's a lot of shit that we'll never know about, you know, it's a lot, you know, but the point is guys, the point I'm making this video, the whole point of this video is for this motto on this shirt, control what you can control, control what you can. And if each and every one of us does that, and we honestly, because you got to understand that there are some people that really just don't want more for their lives. There are some people that their goal is to be a hood legend, to be the guy that people, the guy or the girl that people talk about after they die. You know, that's they're the ones with the T-shirts and, you know, they're the ones that if they have kids they're you know, these other hoodlums will come up to them and tell them how real of a person their parent was for doing, you know, this and that in the streets. And so you have two type of kids. You have kids like me who is like, well, fuck all of that, because I would just rather have my dad back. And, you know, let's continue doing all the stuff that you might not consider real that I consider real, like spending time together, fishing, you know, just fun in general, barbecues, like just all the things that we did that had nothing to do with that. That was the real person to me, like versus what, you know, criminal activity People are out here claiming make somebody real or fake or whatever. Like that, I hate that. Like, you know, I have a lot of friends and family that have died uh, out there in the streets, and that's really why I'm speaking this message because I loved all of them, and and none of it, none of none of the reason I loved them had anything to do with crime or anything they were doing out there in the streets. It was about the people they were. And nobody seems to realize or remember who these people were like. You know, my my brother, best friend, whatever you want to call them. Nobody wants to talk about how much he loved Crocodile Hunter. You know what I'm saying? Nobody wants to talk about how much he loved fishing. Nobody wants to talk about how we used to catch bluegills out of the pond with like lunch meat and like how in like the ingenuity we would come up with just to, you know, have fun. Like nobody wants to talk about that. Nobody wants to talk about the fact that he could have been like a biologist or some shit because he loved or a, or a reptile specialist because, you know, we're out here on this trail and shit, like finding reptiles and snakes. And nobody wants to talk about that. All you want to talk about is the bodies he had or the shootouts he was, he had been in. And that's the thing that led to his death. So you're glorifying that. You know, you're glorifying that. That's what got him killed. You didn't love him. You didn't want him to be here longer than what he was. That's just how I feel, guys. So that was kind of a tangent. I was supposed to be getting into controlling what you can control. <laughs> but uh, I, that's just how I feel, man. We glorify the wrong things in this community. And because of that, we have generation after generation after generation having to start from scratch and and redo everything, relearn everything. And you know what? That's the difference between us and a lot of other cultures is we have to start from scratch every single generation because we we don't pass down what we've learned. The thing is, 90 percent of the time. Probably a lot higher than that, probably 99 percent of the time, these fan like. 
people are coming together just to have sex. They're not coming together to start a family, but it ends up happening. And it's never going to be a family because y'all don't even know each other. Y'all find out y'all don't even like each other before the baby's even born. And so now y'all are, you know, we, you got a single parent and somebody else just out there doing whatever. Control what you can, you can, guys. We got to respect ourselves before we expect other people to respect us. And that, 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 that goes for a total group. Um, we look at the police killings, right? Look at, look at that. Look at the police killings. Now, it seems they've died down a little bit or, you know, they just aren't being reported as much as they were at one point. But, you know, a lot of people took issue with people that said, you know, what about black on black crime? And I understand why, because that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about police who are supposed to have rules of engagement, killing black men. But I don't think that's completely invalid for the simple fact that we have, we're looking, we're asking the question, why don't the police value our lives the same way they value, you know, the white kid's life or the Asian kid's life. And the reason, I mean, it's, it's not far fetched to understand that, Hey, these black kids out here aren't valuing their lives. So it probably won't mean as much as if I snipe one, you know, kill one for no reason. Like I probably, you know, I'm, I'm going to get paid leave. I'll probably, you know, just relocate to another department. It'll blow over. I'll be back on the street, this, that, and the third, you know, especially if it's, if it's somebody with a criminal background, because that's the first thing they're going to do is say, okay, well, look at this kid, you know, his Facebook, look at all these illegal weapons on his Facebook, look at the drugs, look at this, that, and the third. And that's reason for them to why they devalue you as a human being. I mean, it's the same way. Like if you listen to the uh, to veterans speak about um, their time in the military and, you know, especially combat veterans who are struggling, dealing with the things that they were asked to do and the things that they did during their tour of duty. Um, you know, one of those techniques that th that was trained, like one of the things that was trained into them was to dehumanize their enemy. So when they saw somebody, you know, when they saw the enemy, they didn't see a human being with a family and goals and aspirations. They saw a target, an enemy. And it's the same on both sides. So, you know. We are all we're dehumanizing ourselves, basically, with the whole genocide of each other type shit. You know, think about like the genocide in Rwanda. You know, I understand that that was a tribal matter and all of that. But do you look at all the atrocities that were reported from the U.N. soldiers over there? You see what I'm saying? Like the value of life has gone down so drastically that these people feel comfortable doing whatever to whoever. And we see that in any any of these, you know, any of these situations where. The value of life is obviously low. We see people taking advantages. I, I, I remember a story a family member told me about driving to, you know, these bad neighborhoods just to shoot somebody. You know, imagine how sick that is. You know, you go to a neighborhood where there's a lot of violence and a lot of killings and a lot of shootouts and a lot of war going on just to catch a body because, hey, it's the norm. That means the value of life is so small. So we don't even value each other's lives and we expect, you know, other people to value them more than we do. So that's the that's the sad thing. Uh, that's the sad thing, guys. Um,
it is what it is, man. Um, I, you know, just just traveling, for example. Traveling, for example. You get like when I, for example, I was in Thailand most recently. There were people literally asking me to take or taking pictures with me, asking me, hey, can I take a picture with you? Yeah. You know, uh, so I was taking pictures with, you know, people from uh, different people from around the world. Um, And, you know, when when I would see, you know, other black people, like especially the black men, we would be happy to see each other. But what I noticed is that the women were a lot less friendly to each other. Black women were extremely unfriendly to each other, in my opinion. And even when they did speak, it didn't really seem genuine uh, to each other, though, to each other. I'm like, you know, it, it, if you're black and you've traveled and you, you know, experienced the same thing, you know what I'm talking about. But it's just like we want people to love us more than we love ourselves. You know, when you see another black person, you shouldn't be afraid for your life or clutching your purse or whatever. But there's some black people that are like that. But those same black people would then call a white person racist if they felt the same way if they felt the same level of you know unsafety i mean i know that's not a word but insecurity whatever you want to call it uh but shit i mean it is what it is like i'm somebody that watched a black man kill my dad so if i see a shifty looking dude you know my first thing you know the i'm honestly the first thing i'm thinking is you know, well, what's, what's, what's he up to? You know, I'm not thinking, oh, look at this brother here, whatever, you know, it is what it is. So, um, number one, I think we have to call the herd. We have to get, you know, some people are too far gone. There's 40 year old people out here who still want to live a life of crime. And, you know, there's 45, 50 year old supposed to be OGs who are, you know, perpetuating all of this nonsense on our community by putting guns and drugs in the hands of our young kids and you know hyping them up to think that's what they're supposed to be in life now these are people who have lived and you know did their time in prison and seen all these things and you still want to put that life on the other people i think those are some of the worst people in our community to be honest with you because you know we talk about how these youngsters are out here shooting up the community and killing everybody and you know just all of this crap and they just they don't have any guidance and that's not an excuse but i mean they're like stray dogs little stray puppies raised on the street grown up to be wolves basically we have to we have to be able to i'm not saying look i'm not saying nuke the hood and and just you know forget about them wash our hands of them but I'm saying we have to, number one, we have to identify problems, man. And these kids who are being misled by these old heads who think they're OGs are some of the biggest problems in the, you know, especially in the hoods, the, you know, criminal, because because I don't live in the hood. So it's easy for me to detach as far as what's going on out there. But what I'm saying is, you know, there has there has always been you know, mentors, no matter, you know, what community you're from, what area you're in, there's always been the elders. There's always been, you know, the leaders, the people that have been on this planet a lot longer than the children to help them. So they don't have to make the same mistakes they did. But in, in, in hoods, in the hoods of America, a lot of these dudes are teaching 
these young kids to make the same exact mistakes they did. And guess what? They're setting them up for the same things that they experience, whether that's prison or, you know, ultimately being killed violently on the streets. Uh, the last thing I want to touch on, guys, is uh, another part of controlling what you can control is. Um, there seemed to have been a shift in really the definition of what racism is. Um, for me, racism. OK, look, let me racism versus prejudice. Right. So prejudice is I'm. Judging you before I know anything about you just based on what I can see prejudice like if you're if you're if you're like if I'm black and I don't like Hispanic people that's prejudice or if there's a Hispanic person and I think oh you're this or you're that because you're Hispanic without knowing anything about you that's prejudice right now I wouldn't call that racist though now this is not my point of view this is that like, I, I love Hispanic people all of that like I'm just saying as an example please don't think that's my point of view now racism would be if i didn't like you know i had that prejudice towards hispanic people and then i started you know i gained i gained a position of power and started writing laws and and executive orders and shit to uh you know punish these people for being hispanic or mexican or whatever to me, that's what racism is. Racism has power attached to it. You have a power to act on your prejudice. Now, if like, for example, if I'm black and I don't and you're white and I don't like you because you're white, which is once again, I'm not saying that that's just an example. That's prejudice. But how like what power do I have to inflict a negative result on your life because of that prejudice? Right now, if I'm, you know. If I'm, you know, the chairman of board of education and I, you know, make some rule to make it harder for white kids to, you know, succeed, then that's racism. You see what I'm saying? So I think the real racism these days is being overshadowed just by simple prejudice. And I'm not saying prejudice is OK or anything, but I think we're really missing the larger picture of what racism actually looks like because we're, we're falling for the little basic shit. Right. To me. An example of modern racism and, and this could be wrong. I could be wrong. This is just how I feel. This is my opinion. I feel that a modern example of racism would be Flint, Michigan. Now, how many years has it been since they've had clean water? Now, I've never been to Flint, Michigan, really don't plan on going. What I do know is that it's a predominantly black, low income area of Michigan. Uh, they're under uh understaffed and their police department i remember watching a show on netflix where they you know they had some crazy low number of police officers uh weren't able to respond to crimes or really do anything for the community because of you know the lack of funding the lack of policing to me that's racism um because this situation would never happen in a beverly hills or you know just any predominantly white upper class well-off neighborhood you know it is what it is so my point being that if we all pay taxes right now the reason why the reason why i say that's racism is because you know like i said flint michigan is predominantly black low income and and that's another thing uh that we'll talk about 
it's not in my opinion it's really not always racism it's really uh classism if you will like it's it's the rich versus the poor more so like uh i forgot who said it but basically he was like when i say white people in this context i'm not talking about your everyday you know your co-worker at work i'm talking about you know there's only he uh, he was was it who is it it was it Chappelle or was it Patrice O'Neill? I can't remember who it was. I don't want to just start giving people credit for something they didn't say, but essentially he was like, there's only, you know, probably 10 real white people on the planet. Like the people that are actually responsible for the things we, you know, we attribute to racism and just with the power, basically he was saying there's only, there's very few people that can actually affect you know the number of people or the uh i'm butchering this quote but whatever guys <laughs> basically to what you know i'm trying to uh, i'm trying to summarize it in a way that it makes sense um without actually remembering the exact quote or who said it it's weird but anyway it's not it's not like your co-worker that's white or whatever or your next door neighbor that's white it's the person you've never seen before with all the money and the power who's specifically targeting you and your entire race by doing things and you and you have and you're none the wiser to it to me that's what racism looks like and also i think that's classism as well uh because you know they're flint michigan there's white people there there's hispanic people there and you know most of them are all like this is a poor place low income place so it's not just black people that aren't affected by the water so that's why i say it's also classism um, you know, the wealthy people aren't going to go for that, obviously, because they have more money and, you know, <laughs> to, to, to operate and stuff. But as a country, that's what taxes I feel like are for shit like that. So the fact that a black predominantly black minority community or whatever, low income community could go without clean running water for nearly half a decade. To me, that speaks to the power structure not being, you know, very fond of a certain race or class of people. Um, and honestly, I butchered that entire segment, to be honest with you. I didn't feel like that went the way I wanted it to go, but, uh, it is what it is. It's from the heart guys. I'm not trying to speak to you as if I know everything or know anything really. I'm just speaking to you from my heart and how I feel. And, um, I really just want us to be all we can be. And, um, I think that starts with just being real with each other and controlling what you can. Um, but anyway, guys. I appreciate you so much for tuning in. Um, sorry about missing that episode last week, but hopefully this one really made up for it. And uh, hopefully it was a great decision to not, you know, tune the message down in order to kind of beat around the bush and be more generally acceptable or whatever, whatever you want to call it. But uh, once again, for those of you who are listening and listen to this point, I appreciate you. Um, I would love to hear your feedback and I would love also if you guys, you know, drop some things in the comments or, you know, on the subreddit or the Facebook page or any anywhere where you can connect and let me know what you want me to talk about. Like, give me some things that you, you know, or, you know, give me some topics you'd like to see covered on the podcast. And um, before we go, one more thing. Remember, guys, higherlearningpod.com slash shop. Um, all this merch will be up by the end of the week available for you to buy uh we're just going to transfer over to a to the brand new website same address and everything we're just going to do a clean switch and everything will be there so i've probably said this like four times already but once again man i appreciate y'all watching 
It's your boy Captain Smoke. I'll see you next week on Higher Learning. I'll see you next week on Higher Learning. <laughs>